Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Germantown Presbyterian Church. Welcome to the service of worship. It is such a delight to see everybody on this beautiful fall morning. It was nice and crisp and beautiful this morning as we all were coming to church, and so we thank God for this day, and we thank God for your presence with us. We're so grateful for everyone's participation and being with us this morning. A warm welcome to everybody who is worshiping with us in our sanctuary, and a warm welcome to everybody who's worshiping with us online. We're delighted that you're joining us from home or from some other location, and that you're with us, that you're worshiping God, and that we are together, united by God's Spirit, whether we're here in the sanctuary or worshiping online. Whether you're here or online, I invite you to sign the friendship pad. If you're here, it's the maroon pad that's on the inside aisle of each pew. If you would sign your name to that and pass that down the pew and note the names of those who are sitting with you, and in a few minutes, introduce yourself to someone if you don't know them, if they're sitting around you. And if you're online worshiping with us, there's a place on our website where you can sign the online friendship pad and register your attendance with us in that way. If you are visiting and you'd like to know more about GPC, then check that box on the friendship pad, or you can come see the minister who's down front. We have a minister down front after each service to, uh, to answer questions about our church. If you have a special prayer need and want to talk to one of the pastors, then one of us is always down here after the conclusion of each service. So welcome, one and all. Don't forget about the visitors' bags, yellow bags that are in the North X area. They've got information about GPC in them. You can see more about who we are as a family of faith. If you're a visitor, pick up a yellow bag there in the uh, North X area. Uh, draw your attention to the many announcements that are there in your bulletin. There are a lot of them. There are different uh, announcements about the women's retreat, different announcements about events and opportunities um, in all kinds of ways that you can uh, participate in the life of GPC. Please do notice all of those announcements. There's a special event coming up next week called Campfire and Cocktails. It's a fundraiser for Pinecrest. Next Sunday afternoon from 5 to 8 at Shady Grove Presbyterian Church. If you've sent your kids to Pinecrest before or if you've loved Pinecrest and you can participate in that fundraiser, you'll see uh, information about that. You'll also see information asking you to update your information in the church directory, and you can do that by going to the directory that's outside in the uh, AC lobby or in the narthex. There's a directory back there. Check off if your information is correct. If you uh, need to correct an email or a telephone number, then please do that. We want that to be right, and we want that to be correct. You'll see an announcement in there, just a reminder about our search for a children's director, a ministry director for our children's program. There are uh, position descriptions at uh, different tables around the church. If you know of somebody who might be qualified, you can take that to them. might be a teacher, might be somebody who's involved in uh, children's work in one way or another, and uh, tell them to send us a resume. We'd love to talk to them about that. I think that's uh, almost all of our announcements, but again, I'll call your attention to the bulletin and all the announcements that are in there. I will tell you about, uh, just let me uh, end our announcements by telling you about the death of a church member, and that is Margaret Williams. You may remember Margaret. She was a member here for quite, quite a while, and about five years ago, she moved to Colorado to be near her son, um, and I can still picture her sitting right over there where she sat every week, and Margaret helped out in our church office 
Um, if you've ever wondered who entered the names um, of all the people who signed the friendship pad into the church computer, well, for a long time it was Margaret, just a dedicated servant. And I, somebody in Sunday school reminded me that when she turned 90, do you remember what she did? She went skydiving. <laughs> she jumped out of an airplane at age 90. <laughs> and she broke her foot at the same time. So maybe there's... But she wouldn't have traded that for anything in the world. So please remember Margaret, great church member. Please pray for her family and, um, and just keep them in your prayers as well as we think about her and her dedicated service to the life of GPC. And now we have a special announcement from Alan Callicott, who's one of our elders on the stewardship team. Good morning. I brought props, if y'all will indulge me just a minute. I'm here to talk about Engaging Our Potential. That's the name of our capital funds campaign that you will hear more and more and more about over the next few weeks. Last Sunday, Alex Ivey introduced us to this upcoming campaign, and I want to share uh, this message again and provide a little bit of detail about engaging our potential and how we envision that it can work for for this church. Um, I'm so excited to be here this morning. I shared this news at the 830 service and uh, our stewardship team has met and um, the great news for this morning is we've got 100% of the funds needed to fulfill our budget for 2022, 2023, and also our capital funds campaign. So that's great news that we've got. We've got 100% funded and we are ready. The catch is it's all in our pockets. So over the next uh, few weeks, we're going to hear, see, I got you on that one. We're going to hear more about uh, ways that we can uh, prayerfully and thoughtfully consider, you know, our own household budgets, what this church and this ministry means to us, and as we move forward to November 21st, which is our Commitment Sunday. I'm Alan Calicut. I'm honored to serve with uh, Alex Ivey, John Sebold, Beth Brock, Robert Shaw, and Melinda Russell on our, our stewardship team. We're the committee that works behind the scenes with all of the different GPC ministries, uh, along with Will Jones and Fred Turvery, uh, to kind of help the day-to-day operations of our church. Our Engaging Our Potential campaign is simple. Uh, We want to operate the regular budget for 2022. That's coming up in January. We want to operate the regular budget for 2023. And along those two years, we also want to do a capital funds campaign of about a million six to extinguish the debt that we have on the church property. You remember years past, we've had capital campaigns that have allowed us to expand uh, the the buildings and the properties to, to better provide our ministry here at Germantown Presbyterian. But we've got potential. If we can eliminate that debt, then we've got greater potential to, to accomplish some other things that we want to do. I want to show you how this is proposed to work. If y'all will look with me, we've got the one fund, engaging our potential. We also have, here's our budget for 2022. Approximately $2 million is our budget for 2022. So that's going to go in to our engaging our potential. We also have 2023 the budget for 2023, uh, which should be around $2 million, give or take 
based on our historical budgeting. And then we have the debt, the $1.6 million. And, and again, nothing to be alarmed about. We can certainly handle that on our amortization for the next 15 years. But we would like to go ahead and extinguish that quicker. So it allows us to do uh, much better things with, with those funds rather than paying principal and interest. So this also goes in. So for those following along, $2 million for 2022 plus $2 million for 2023 is $4 million plus 1.6 of the debt is $5.6 million over the next 24 months. Uh, it's a very attainable goal for this congregation, but it all goes into that one bucket. So as we look towards November the 21st on our Commitment Sunday, we want to have one pledge for everyone that gives where we can all work towards this goal for, for extinguishing the debt and, and accomplishing our budgets. Now, what do we get for that? The last word is the potential. When we look in the bucket, some of the things we can do, we've got some improvements in the AC kitchen that we want to do. We've got some children's ministries that we want to improve the technologies for our children's ministries. We've got transportation uh, with special needs that we want to help improve that ministry with special needs. Um, we have south fields, uh, the, the, ball, the, the fields that are on the south side of our, our footprint, uh, Possibly we can develop those fields. We can have some more opportunities there for youth programming, whether that be sports or leagues or whatever, just to help uh, expand our reach with Germantown Presbyterian. Everything we're doing is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's been happening here for many years, and it will continue to happen with everybody's faithful stewardship. We've got some teams that are working on prayers, Missy and Paul Gwynn. We'll be working on, on prayer teams over the next coming uh, weeks, along with uh, Tracy and Emmett Whitaker. Uh, you'll hear more about that as we move forward. Thank you for the opportunity this morning. Please be prayerfully considering our engaging our potential campaign, and I can promise you this is not the last you're going to hear about it. Thank you all. We gather in Christ's name to fill this place with our praise of God. God is worthy of our devotion. Please stand and join me in our call to worship. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. O oh Lord my God, you are very great. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I be.
God is merciful and just, and God is quick to forgive those who repent. Let us confess our sin and acknowledge our need of God's grace. Let us pray. Lord, have mercy on us, your servants. We sin and do not follow in the path you have set before us. You lived as a servant of humanity, washing feet, offering healing, and elevating others. The humility you desire does not come quickly to us, but other traits do. We are eager to judge, boast, and condemn, sometimes overtly and sometimes silently, but always sinfully. Forgive us and offer us grace, we pray, so that we may live like you, O Christ, a servant to the world around us. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Christ's death on the cross reconciles us to God. His resurrection brings us new life in God's presence. I declare to you that in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As our children come forward for the children's sermon, please greet those around you with the sign of God's peace. Good morning, y'all. Good, good morning, y'all. Is it working? Is it working? There it goes. Good morning, y'all. How are you? Good. That's good. What month are we in? Do you guys know? So, no, that's not it. We're in October. Do you know what happens at the end of October? Halloween happens, and Halloween is this day where uh, sometimes some people. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, at the on Halloween, sometimes we get candy, and I was thinking about that, and that uh, made me think about how my mom would remind me when I was a little kid to always follow the golden rule. Do you guys, do your moms ever tell you that? 
No? Okay. That's okay. Sometimes it goes by other names, because in the Bible, it is called Matthew 7.12. No? It's not called that? <laughs> okay. Um, well, Jesus tells us in the Bible, he says, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. And that's a fancy way of saying, be, uh, treat others the way that you want to be treated. So how do we want others to treat us? Exactly. Oh my goodness. We want them to be nice. We want them to be sweet. So to remind you guys to treat others the way that you want to be treated, I also brought a bucket like Mr. Calicott. Uh, but my bucket has candy and not more buckets inside. So everybody is allowed to have one piece, okay? And you have to wait till the end of the sermon to eat it, okay? Okay, everyone promises? Okay. Yeah. So can you guys pray with me, please? Dear God... Thank you for bringing us here today. Remind us to be sweet and treat everyone kindly. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for coming, guys.
as Christopher was handing out the uh, candy in those buckets, I had this flashback to how much gum Bobby Lanier would hand out every Sunday, and Bud Webb would hand out Smarties, and Bill Boyle, you would hand out peppermints to everybody, and I would go home with a pocket full of candy every Sunday, and they would tell me that was my salary for the day. I think I discovered where at least half, if not 75% of all that gum went when we had our flood and, you know, we had to take every pew out of here and we laid them on their sides in the AC and we discovered where about 75% of the gum went that Bobby Lanier handed out. There was so much gum on the bottom of these pews, believe it or not this archaeological study to look at what gum does when it's on the bottom of a pew for 35 years in the sanctuary. But we will keep handing out candy, and that'll be our salary for the day. Please pray with me. Lord, your first disciples called you teacher, and so also do we now as we approach your word. Lord, you are our teacher, and we crave wisdom from you We pray that you would give us wisdom in what we are about to read and in what we are about to hear. We pray that you would teach us in ways that bring us closer in discipleship, closer to you and closer to our fellow pilgrims on the road of faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're in the book of Mark for this uh, fall sermon series, The Upside Down Kingdom, and we see again today how Jesus turns things upside down on our expectations. And so we read from Mark 10, verses 35 through 45. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. Now, when the ten heard this, they became angry at James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers, lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be a servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be a slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Do you ever go into a luncheon or go into a meeting? Maybe it's a business meeting, maybe it's a conference dinner, and you go into a dinner party and look for the right place to sit. Maybe you do that. I go periodically, like I will go this coming Wednesday, to the Germantown Chamber of Commerce luncheon. 
And I go there to see other uh, community leaders, to be with others. And we mingle for a little while, and I'll put my business card in all their jars, and, and they'll give me a card. And I go in then to the dining room where all the tables are set up, and I almost instantly go to the front of the room to be as close as possible to the head table. Now, it's not only arrogance. I'm usually saying the invocation and the blessing when I'm doing that, so I don't want to walk all the way from the back to the front. But who wants to sit in the back of the room? Now, I realize there's great irony in saying this because I'm looking at some people, especially back there, who always sit in the back of the room, and that's sort of the preferred seating. It's a little bit ironic how it works. In school and in church, a lot of people sit in the back and not in the front. But usually, we always want to sit close to the front, don't we? We want those great seats. We want to be near the front, the important people's table. You ever do that? You ever do that at a conference, a business meal, maybe even a social setting, you sort of ease your way or even elbow your way to the front? It's really funny. I've watched people at rehearsal dinners do this. Maybe you've seen this at a rehearsal dinner. People will walk into that dining room, walk into that banquet hall, and they'll look for their card at their place, and they'll have on their face either a look of delight or a look of something else when they see who they're seated with or what table that they are supposed to sit at. I know I've told you this story before, but it's one of my favorites, and I learned a lifelong lesson in this event. But it comes from the first wedding that I ever conducted in Scotland when I learned on the fly in the moment that it was the tradition for the ministers to emcee the reception, which was like our rehearsal dinners because it's a sit-down meal with speeches and toasts. And I learned as the maitre d' came over to me and said, we're ready to begin, that I was to give the first toast and the first speech, and then call upon certain others after that. Well, along with this joyous responsibility came the honor of sitting at the head table, which at this reception was at the front of the room. And at this particular dinner, it actually was elevated up two or three feet. The head table was above everybody else. So I got a great view of the whole room, a great meal, a great setting, except that they seated my newly minted bride at the very back of the room with Uncle Hamish and Auntie Morag and all the other family members that they had to invite and put somewhere, but they didn't want to speak, so they put them in the back of the room. And that was before smoking was banned indoors, and everybody, everybody there pretty much, and everybody at that back table was smoking from beginning to end. And so I remember looking back to the back of the room, which was about from here to the back wall of our sanctuary, through that thick haze, and everybody at the back table, with the exception of one person, was smoking on that meal, and seeing this look, (laughs) seeing this look, kind of like the look I'm getting right now, this look. (laughs) And I remember saying something like, mouthing something like, I love you, (laughs) And I remember that there was a response, but it was not those words. (laughs) There was a response. The moment, do you ever desire to be at that table, the important people's table, the one down front, the good seats where everybody can see you and notice you? It's part of some people's nature to want to be at those seats like it was these two disciples. 
these two disciples, James and John. Now think about who they were. They were some of the first disciples that Jesus called into following him. On the seashore that day, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the first disciples called to follow Jesus. And then they were there at this transfiguration moment that's talked about right before this story in Mark. They see Jesus there in this glorification moment, this amazing moment. And they have this request of Jesus. They want the good seats. And by good seats, they mean, it's symbolic, what they want is this position. Places of authority, places of power and responsibility. They approach Jesus while they're on the road to Jerusalem. He's ahead of them, maybe, and they get away from the others, and they go to Jesus. Now, they know this is a climactic moment. It really is. They're headed toward Jerusalem. Jesus has been talking about going to Jerusalem. This moment, they know that something is going to come to a head here in Jerusalem. And it really is this climax of his ministry, and they all know that. And he's been talking about that, and more people are coming in. They're, they're going to enter into the city with this great milieu of people all around them. Something important is happening, and so James and John go up to Jesus. They approach him, and they want him when he assumes control. You see, they believe, they think that this is the moment he is going to assume power and control and authority and become this Messiah-like king. It's going to happen here in Jerusalem, and they want to be right next to him when it happens. I remember talking to my dad, and he would tell me about his days in the army. He was a lieutenant in the army in the 1950s, and he was uh, assigned to be a general's aide, an assistant to a general. He told me how he would represent the general at some meetings. And the word lieutenant literally means that. It means someone who stands in the place of someone else, a tenant who stands in lieu of someone else. In the French army, when an army captain went down, the next in line to command the unit was the lieutenant. James and John want to be Jesus' lieutenants. They want to be second and third in command right there with Jesus, visible, important. Now, what's going on in their minds and in their imaginations are these visions that are part of the Old Testament. They are scriptures for them, the Hebrew scriptures. There are places like in the, the last part of Daniel and in some of the other prophets where there is a vision of the Son of Man descending to establish God's kingdom. The Son of Man descending in Daniel, and it's this great judgment scene where all of humanity is judged before God. And so they have this vision in mind of Jesus coming in his glory to establish finally once and for all God's kingdom and James and John want to be on the left and the right Jesus is loyal lieutenants when God's kingdom is established now they believe in Jesus I think it's a sincere request maybe tinged with some arrogance but it's a sincere request they believe in Jesus they want to follow him They know that he is going to establish God's kingdom. They want to be there when he does. They're willing to follow him, they say, everywhere. Follow his lead and follow his command. May we sit at your right hand and your left. Now, it's interesting that when Jesus responds, instead of talking about these seats, he starts talking about a cup. Another very powerful symbol from the Old Testament. Are you able to drink from the same cup that I will drink from. 
Now, this is a different vision, and I think they would have known about this one as well because it shows up in several places in the Old Testament. Their scriptures, they would have known, I think, what Jesus was talking about because there is this image in several places in the prophets, in the Psalms, of a cup that people will drink from. And in the Old Testament, the cup is used metaphorically for suffering, the cup of suffering, and more specifically, a cup that is handed to you by God, the cup of suffering that comes from being in relationship or being apart from God. Psalm 75 says this, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed. He will pour a draft from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Here and in other places, the Old Testament speaks about God's holiness. And it speaks about God's justice, God's righteous anger at human sin, at idolatry and abandoning God and injustice. God is justified to be angry at human sin. Those who defy God will drink from the cup of God's judgment or God's wrath, as it says in the Old Testament. Drinking this cup becomes a repeated metaphor over and over again for suffering the consequences of sin. Jesus knew about this cup. Do you remember? It's got to be his most heartfelt, his most earnest prayer when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And one of the Gospels says he is praying so sincerely and earnestly that his sweat starts to drop like blood. Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says this, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. But not my will be done, but yours. He is talking about this cup of judgment and righteousness and justice and wrath. God's anger over human sin. God will not tolerate evil. Someone must drink the cup of God's holy response to sin. And the Son of God, Jesus says, I'll take it. I will drink from it so that they, we, do not have to. I'll drink it for them. Now, we talk about the symbolism of this cup all the time in here. You can see it represented on the communion table. Every time we have communion, we talk about this cup of righteousness, this cup of judgment, and that because Christ and his obedience drank from it, that we no longer have to. Christ drank from this, and so for us it becomes the cup of salvation. For him, it was the cup of judgment and wrath. For us, it's the cup of salvation. We drink now from God's grace because Christ drank from God's wrath. And he suffered tremendously while he did it. So Jesus is here. He's asking James and John a question along these lines. Not if they will suffer for all humanity's sin because only Jesus could do that. But are they willing to drink from a cup of suffering? A cup of anger that will come to them because they follow him. That to follow Jesus is, in so many places, an invitation to be uh, scorned. It's an invitation to be persecuted. They will face human anger because they are his followers. And then we read about this. It happened a little bit later in James's life. We read about this in Acts 12, where Herod Agrippa began a persecution against the church and it specifically names James as being killed by the sword at Herod's order. So he asks them, are they willing to drink from a cup of suffering? 
the same baptism of suffering? Will they face anger and judgment and persecution that will come to them because people are against Christ and His ways? Are they willing to suffer in their relationship with Christ? Now, ponder that same question for your own life. Would you be willing to suffer some kind of anger or scorn or persecution in your own life because of your love and following and relationship with Jesus? They're pondering that question there, these two disciples, when the other disciples walk up and they overhear this conversation. And what do they do instantly but turn angry? Because they are jealous. Because they hear this conversation, James and John, in their minds, they have gotten to Jesus first. (laughs) Because they, no doubt, several of them probably had the same designs. They wanted to be in a position of power or authority and being noticed when Jesus comes into the kingdom. So Jesus reminds them, as they get angry and jealous, He reminds them as he already has and as he will again and again, and as he reminds us, he reminds those disciples why his followers are so different, why we are supposed to have such a different mentality, such a different approach to our life and, and to life in this world than the secular world. Jesus says in the secular world, and he does this by saying Gentiles, in the Gentile world, the non god following world, You'll always be dealing with rank and privilege and who's higher and who's lower than others. You'll always have people elbowing for position and jockeying for the important people's table. And there are those who are just dying to sit there. But not with you. Not with you, says Jesus. Not with you. In the Gentile world, people in authority make sure that everybody knows who's in charge The Gentile leaders will enforce their will on others and make them bow down to them. If not literally bow down, then at least make sure everybody knows who is in charge. People gaining enough power to enact their will or their desires or their agenda over others. Jesus calls them in this passage, he calls those Gentile leaders, he calls them tyrants, which was a well-known Greek word in that day, tyrannos. In ancient Greece, in the 6th and 7th centuries B.C., it was known in Greece as the age of the tyrants. There were all these leaders who assumed power. They gained power illegitimately and always through ruthless and bloody means. A series of rulers in these city-states that were known as the tyrants. And they they were ruthless. And tyrants always are ruthless. Always. We've got tyrants in our modern world. We see them in different regimes and in different places like in Cuba and Venezuela, parts of the Middle East. You see these tyrants who stay in power decade after decade after decade. You do not stay in power by being nice and appealing to people's good natures. You stay in power by being ruthless. It's really interesting. I've been trying to read through, and it's taken me, it started at the beginning of COVID. And I'm not even a third of the way through, but I've been trying to read the Divine Comedy by Dante. This great allegory, this great story where he uses his imagination to talk about his own pilgrimage of faith. And then the first part called Infer- Inferno, Dante is using his imagination. It's not a biblical image, but he's using his imagination to talk about his spiritual journey 
where he is guided down through all the different levels of hell. And he gets to this one place in hell um, where people are punished for being tyrants. Now, in, in the Inferno in Dante's imagination, your punishment in hell, if you were there, relates to your main type of sinfulness while you were alive. So whatever was your main sinfulness, then that relates to your punishment in hell and Dante's way of seeing it. So in Dante's version of hell, tyrants are punished by always being in boiling blood because they spilled so much blood in their lives. A tyrant. Do you know any tyrants? I've known some tyrants in the business world. I hear about some coaches who are tyrants sometimes over their players. Jesus used that word tyrant to talk about people who assert themselves over others, who push themselves over others, who use whatever means necessary to gain power, to stay in power, to use their influence to... to Um, do something in somebody else's lives. We've seen all this all around us. You know who tyrants may be in your neighborhood because they assume all this authority and they try to rule over others. Jesus says, not you. Not you, my followers. You can't be a tyrant. For Jesus' followers, he says, greatness is not defined by human power in God's kingdom. Greatness is defined by humility. Greatness is defined by your service. Greatness is defined by, as he says, not to, not to be served, but to serve. Greatness in God's kingdom probably won't get you noticed and will not get you ahead in the secular world. Greatness in God's kingdom means to be last. To be in charge means to serve. And there was no one who had this first shall be last kind of life more than Jesus himself. This is what we're talking about in this upside down kingdom. How Jesus turns upside down the values of the world and what it means to be a follower of his and to serve as a way of leading. I don't know if you saw our bulletin cover art as you opened up your bulletin this morning. But it is that great picture of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. The Son of God. The eternal, majestic, glorious Son of God incarnated in a human being's life. The one with all power at His hands. He is about to sacrifice everything for them. He is about to, a few hours after this scene, go to drink that cup. But before He does so, He kneels at their feet, He humbles Himself, and He cleans their dirty, dusty feet. You may not be a tyrant, (laughs) but are you truly the disciple that Jesus wants you to be? Are you that disciple? Or do you look for the good seats? Do you want to be noticed? Could you let any desire to be noticed, could you let go of that in order to let someone else be elevated up? To put somebody else ahead of you? To put those, maybe you are a leader, maybe you are Um, in charge of others, can you put their well-being and and their health and their satisfaction ahead of yours? Could you humble yourself like Jesus, follow his lead, which is to serve? Not to be served, but to serve and to give your life. We all have these choices to make every day. Choices in our discipleship, we have them 
literally every day in some scenario or another, I really believe this, to choose. To choose like James and John and, and want to be in the seats of honor and the seats of authority. You can choose that to be seen by others. Or you could choose that cup of humility. And maybe even that cup of suffering. In order to be the disciple that Jesus wants you to be. Amen. The scriptures just told us Jesus humbled himself so that we could stand. Stand free from our sins. Stand in the grace and the goodness of God. So I invite you to join me in standing as you are able. As we recommit ourselves to Jesus Christ through reciting the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. My brothers, my sisters, we have been so blessed already this morning. We have heard God's word read and proclaimed to us. We have stood together and affirmed our faith. And now we are blessed yet again to be able to come before God together and lift up the prayers of this congregation and also our prayers for our community and for our world. And so let us join together now as we turn our hearts and our minds to Almighty God in prayer. Holy God, we cannot live apart from you, for you surround us with your love and you call us into relationship with you over and over again. You call us to become your servants, one for the other, and you call us to come before you in prayer, and so we do. We give you thanks and praise for the blessings of our lives, for these crisp fall days as leaves gently release and settle onto the earth with their colors of red and gold. We thank you for this community of faith through whom we are nurtured and challenged to become the people that you already call us to be. We thank you for opportunities of service both here and far beyond these walls, and we say, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Holy God, we come before you with trust and hope, and we ask for your guidance. Teach us to be the servants that you call us to be. Teach us to be humble for you. 
teach us obedience and gratitude. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for this world in turmoil and for its people, and so we especially pray this morning for those who live in the pathways of wildfires and tornadoes and hurricanes and freezing temperatures and floodwaters. May there be safekeeping for each one. We pray for those who don't have a place of warm shelter or a warm meal or a cool cup of water today. May their needs be met. We pray for this day. We pray for those who live each day with fear from violence in their homelands and violence in their own homes. Especially teach us how to be your hands and your feet as we welcome refugees. We pray for a world where your peace will reign. We pray that peace will begin with us right here and right now. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Holy God, we come before you with humility and trust and hope as we name out loud those that are near and dear to us. God of mercy, we have named a few, and yet there are so many more that are in our hearts and on our minds, and we know that you already need, that you already know their needs, and so we ask that you would bless each one with your healing mercies. Hear us, O God, that we may love you with our whole being, and we may be willing to share the concerns of our neighbors that we may become the servants that you call us to be. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And hear us now as we join all of our voices into one voice, and we pray the prayer that you taught your disciples and that you teach us to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus calls us to become servants for Almighty God, and so it is with great humility and hope and joy and generosity that we now have this opportunity to return to God our gifts and our offerings and our tithes and our very lives. So let us do so with great joy and generosity.
God, we do praise you, not just because this day is gorgeous, not just because it feels so good to be with you together in your house, but because when we look at the landscape of our lives, we cannot help but be filled with gratitude for you humbling yourself so that we could be free. So we take this portion of the bounty that you've given to us and we commit it to you. And we ask, God, that you would bless and magnify it for your glory. Use it to transform someone's life, to spread your gospel that all people may know of the joy and peace that we have in you. This we pray in your holy name. Amen.
Friends, as we depart today, remember the words of Scripture that tell us to keep alert, be strong, be courageous and strong, and let everything you do be done in love. And so go out now to love and serve the Lord. Go out to love and serve your neighbor as yourself. And as you go, may the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and dwell in your heart and in your mind forever. Amen.